The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, with this Monday, we begin the second week on the topic of the Four Noble Truths. And this week, the topic is the second Noble Truth, the Noble Truth of the Arising of Suffering. So there's the Noble Truth of Suffering, the noble truth of the arising of suffering, the noble truth of the cessation of suffering, and the noble truth of the practice leading to the cessation of suffering. So this four noble truths are often considered to be central teachings of Buddhism, maybe even the central teachings of the Buddha. The, the myth or the lore of Buddhism is that um, the first sermon, the first teachings the Buddha gave was on the Four Noble Truths. And there's a long history in all the different schools of Buddhism to um, make a claim about what is the first teachings of the Buddha as being probably what's very important for that school of Buddhism. And so for Theravadan Buddhism, this Four Noble Truths is really kind of at the center of it all. And I take that with a tremendous uh, appreciation and respect that there's this Buddhist tradition, Theravada tradition, that has this wonderful dynamic teaching of the Four Noble Truths with which we can uh, use as a framework to understand our life better. And, that, and one of the advantages of this framework, especially as a kind of the foundation of a whole religious tradition, is that it doesn't uh, assume or posit or require one to believe in something that um, cannot be proven, cannot be seen in, for oneself, experienced for oneself. That's not a supernatural belief, it's not an uh, abstract metaphysical belief that we have to believe in something, a tenet that comes down from the Buddha or from Buddhism, like this is, the, this is uh, you know, can't be proven, but you have to believe this. This is something that we can really discover for ourselves in our experience. These are imminently practical frameworks, the Four Noble Truths, with which we can then look at our lives at the place where the Theravada tradition says it's most essential, most simple. It's kind of like pare down to where the heart of it is. And the heart of it really has to do with the Third Noble Truth, the topic for next week, the possibility of the cessation of suffering. And, um, and the niroda of suffering. And one of the meanings, we'll talk about this next week, of niroda is uh, non-obstruction, to come to a place where we're no longer obstructed by suffering, no longer obstructed by all the different aspects and ecology of suffering that might exist, so that who we are and how we are can unfold, can move, can develop, can grow on the path to greater and greater freedom.
That's kind of the core aspect of Buddhism. So it's kind of like the good news of Buddhism. And it does it by this very simple framework that um, doesn't require a lot of study, doesn't require a lot of, as I said, metaphysics or supernatural things. It's just, this is the essence of it. And if you stay close to that essence, uh, you know, all of Buddhism will unfold. It's said, one, one ancient teaching is that all of Buddhism, just like all the animals, all the footprints of all the animals in the forest can be, uh, can be placed inside the footprint of an elephant. So all teachings of Buddhism can be put inside of the Four Noble Truths. The, you know, so everything else kind of follows from this. Now, uh, the Four Noble Truths, being such a very important central teaching, has been um, interpreted in many, many ways. Uh, it's changed now, but some 10 years ago, I looked at Wikipedia on the Four Noble Truths, and there was some like eight different modern explanations, definitions of what the Four Noble Truths were. And, um, and uh, they were wildly different from each other. And I, you know, some of them I never even recognized as part of Buddhism, and um, and um, you know they were all kind of modern explications, and and um, so I was kind of a little surprised by this, and and a little bit surprised too that they didn't they didn't attribute any of them to anyone, <laughs> but one of them was mine, and uh, I thought that was kind of kind of interesting that something I had said in some little paper would end up in Wikipedia. So it's been interpreted in many different ways, and probably all the different interpretations have value for the people who've come up with it. And down through the centuries uh, in Asia, there's been many interpretations. One of the key interpretations, and I'll talk over the next few days, some of the interpretations or some of the applications of the second noble truth, the truth of the arising of suffering. Sometimes uh, literal meaning is arising, but probably one of the most common understandings, especially in the modern world, but maybe also uh, in much of Theravada Buddhism, is that uh, the second noble truth has to do with the cause of suffering. And we want to understand what's causing it, what's bringing it about, what's the source of it. Uh, the, uh, some translators call it the origination of it, but often in modern books we'll say there's suffering and there's a cause of suffering. And um, now this is a, also a very practical and useful teaching. In some ways, it's applicable to so many different areas of our life that uh, are available to us in everyday experience. Uh, it doesn't require meditation, doesn't require the mind getting still. Some of the other deeper interpretations of the second noble truth really require a depth of meditative experience. But here, looking at the cause, uh, in everyday life, you can see that we get impatient. You can ask, what's the cause of that impatient? Oh, I'm in a hurry to get somewhere. Maybe I don't have to be in a hurry. That desire to get somewhere quickly um, is making tension in the system. So the very question, what's the cause of this distress I'm feeling, this uh, whatever it's going on. Uh, and uh, and that question, that just simply that question opens the field, reveals something that we can do something about sometimes. We can have a different relationship with our, you know, the causes. We can 
let go of it, we can let it be, we can not pick it up, we could put it aside so that the cause is not an imp, is not a, is not, whatever the cause is does no longer becomes a cause. It just becomes something. Now, it's very popular also to say that uh, in modern interpretations that the cause of suffering is desire. And um, and that makes all desire kind of seem like being a problem. It could be that we understand that uh, not all desires are the problem, but if there's going to be suffering, there is some desire behind it. And um, there can be desire perhaps without any suffering. But if there's suffering, the cause is some kind of desire, is desire. That, you know, maybe is more interesting rather than making all desire a problem. In the, in the teachings of the Buddha, it seems that uh, there's a word that uh, is used to, uh, to kind of characterize the kind of desire that is the emphasis. And this is um, a very, it's a metaphor. As I said last week, a lot of Buddha's teachings are metaphoric. And the word, the metaphor that's being used is in, literally in English means thirst. So it's a kind of desire that has the characteristics of being th- uh, thirst. Imagine someone's parched, someone's uh, really um, uh, thirsty, really desperate for water. And the, the compulsion, the drive, the preoccupation with getting something to drink can be quite strong. Could be that all the person thinks about. And um, so that kind of, so I, this thirst is the cause of desire, uh, of suffering. So thirst um, means the suffering has some kind of compulsive quality. There's a drivenness where it's not, you know, I'll leave, I'll take it or leave it. It doesn't really matter to me. It's like I don't have any, there's like there's a, almost sometimes a force, an addictive force that uh, it's almost sometimes very impossible not to give into when desires are really, really strong. This kind of addictive, compulsive kind of force of desire. And that's part of the reason why there's suffering involved because the desires have tension, have, have a, a loss of freedom, this kind of compulsive desire. And anytime we lose our freedom, we suffer, we feel less, we're limited, we're, 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 uh, have a burden, there's a challenge, there's an inner kind of burning that's not pleasant at all, painful burning going on, that we have to have this. And so in mindfulness practice then, we learn to look at the nature of desire. Look at the nature of our, you know, if we're suffering, we look at what is the cause? Can I identify anything that's conventionally called the cause? And then if it's desire or whatever it might be, we learn to look at it more carefully. And this is where the meditation this morning of letting things be is so useful. Because when you learn to let it be, you learn to uh, uh, see it more clearly and you let it evolve and show itself. Not all cravings are only problematic. Sometimes what we crave and what we're addicted to represents something deeper, a deeper need we might have a deeper desire for something good, actually, even, that's directed in the wrong direction. But the deep need we have gives it compulsion. We have to have this. 
if we let go of the unwholesome desire without taking our time to let it be and study and see it and let it kind of relax, uh, then we might not discover the deeper things going on, the deeper, maybe wholesome desire that's there. Not always, but sometimes. So to stop and take a good look, to ask the question, what is the cause of my distress, my sorrow, my grief? Appreciating that there might be multiple causes, multiple reasons. And the causes that this Four Noble Truths is interested in is our contribution to our suffering by how we thirst, how we have compulsion, how we have very strong desire for something to exist, to have, or to want, or very strong compulsion to have something not exist, to push away, to get rid of. Those, that deep, deep drive of desire that human beings have takes many forms, some of them quite beautiful and necessary and profound, that Buddhist practice, the freedom from suffering, the cessation of suffering, the non-obstruction of suffering, has this beautiful thing where it, it releases more and more the wholesome desires within us. The Four Noble Truths are not an abandonment or a release of all suffering, but as we go through our lives and live our lives, it does purify our desires so that anything which is compulsive, anything's addictive, anything that we have, uh, any desire we have we, in which we lose our freedom is shed. And it's such a beautiful thing. So the first task with the Four Noble Truths is to just carry with us the question, as we recognize our suffering, recognize our stress and distress that we might experience, to ask ourselves, what am, what is the call, what am I contributing to this suffering? What is my contribution? There might be other people who conventionally can be said are the cause of your suffering. But the place where you can have the most impact not to ignore that, but the place of Buddhist practice is to ask, what is my contribution to it? And then to take a good look at that and hold it in awareness and understand it deeply and in doing so, find your freedom. So tomorrow we'll continue with other meanings of the second noble truth. Thank you.